Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time to break the silence and open up the dialogue around the topics of miscarriage and baby loss. No more shame. No more taboo. Let's ditch it for the sake of our children. The ones who are, the ones who will come. And in memory of the ones who never came to be. This is the Worst Girl Gang Ever podcast. Recording in progress. I was going to do that. Recording in progress. Please do do. Do you want to give it a go, Nikki? Please do not say shit. Recording in progress. Good one, yeah. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. Today we're joined in our virtual studio by Nikki. Hello. Hello, hi. Thank you so much for coming, Nikki. Thank Um, you for having me. We haven't whapped out the old virtual studio. What did we used to say every single time? It it was just in the studio. Oh, it was so funny. Yeah, you don't do that and lockdown ended. So we started saying yeah. virtual studio, but we haven't said it in a while. I don't know what made me just just start saying it then. But um, yeah. okay, we were going to be talking to you earlier in the year, I think it was, um, but you didn't feel ready for it then. Um, so, but you recently got back in contact, and here you are. Here I am. Yeah, that was back in October. I just returned to work. I worked the ambulance service and I think it was a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be and I struggled mm. a lot mm. but um yeah. things have improved here I am good good well let's um sorry you go Laura is it a delay <laughs> no 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 <laughs> I was Just... going to say I think often people think um when they go through an experience of loss they want to be doing something um, and want to be proactive. And I don't know if it's um, just sort of filling a void or whether it's a distraction or what, but often the emotions then start coming in thick and fast. Um, so thank you for being um, for being honest with yourself and with us and choosing the right time to to come and talk to us. Yeah, thank you. So tell us a bit about what happened back then, last year. So, gosh, so my husband and I have been trying to conceive for four years now. It was when I turned 30 that we started to conceive just by coincidence. But what that means is now that every year older I turn, so 33, 34, it's it's three years later, it's four years later. Um, Mm. And I think we're both very relaxed people we're both paramedics so we're both quite practical and we never really got to that point where we were getting really stressed every month 
Um, so the years just sort of rolled by without us realising, really. Um, and we got to the two-year point and thought, well, actually, things aren't happening. Maybe we should go and get a few tests and just start that process of understanding what's going on. Um, so that's where it all started, really. So we went to our GP, but very much from the start. So I have a stepson who is 11. And from the start, they said, we will do some testing for you, but it will be very limited and we can't help you any further because you've got a child in your life, because you've got a stepson, you're not going to get any help from the NHS with your fertility, which, yeah, that was, it was very hard. I was prepared for that. I'd done my research and we've lost the postcode lottery, really. We don't live in an area that has great IVF access. So I had sort of accepted that. So we're just outside of Cambridge. Um, So we, you know, we went through all the tests and they all came back completely normal which I guess is good and it was reassuring, but I sort of, I almost, it sounds bad to say, but I almost wanted there to be something wrong so that I knew where I could target my efforts. Yeah. So that we knew You're definitely not alone there. I think yeah. uh, so many, so many women that we speak to, you know, either were relieved that there was something wrong or felt so frustrated by a diagnosis of, you know, un- unexplained ability because, when there's something wrong, you know what to fix, don't you? Or you know how to start. There's a plan. Exactly. When there's something wrong, there's a plan. And when you're given this diagnosis of unexplained infertility or there's nothing we can see, then you're just as, you're kind of just as lost as you were to start with, aren't you? Exactly. And I've always been such a maternal person. I couldn't wait to have children. And because I wanted it so badly, there was always a very small part of my brain that said, well, that's not going to happen because that's something, you know, something you desperately want. Why should you mm. get that? You can't be that lucky. So then when we didn't conceive, my brain was sort of like, well, I told you so, especially for no reason. It's because you wanted it so badly sort of thing. But, you know, it is what it is sort of thing. So we, again, I'd done my research. I was following a few Instagram accounts by that point, like the um, the lovely Sophie Martin, the infertile midwife. I'd, I'd been following her story. And so I sort of knew how to do my research into fertility clinics and what IVF involved so we reached out to a private clinic and started that process which mm-hmm. we were quite honest with friends and colleagues we, we we talked about it quite a lot and I found that helped that people were aware of what we were going through and that we were quite were quite happy to talk about it. Did you think that that opened it up for um, difficult conversations as well you know people when people say that they're going for IVF lots of people say oh that's really exciting gosh yeah okay it's a bit exciting but it's also really freaking stressful and it's not a guarantee yeah and it's terrifying and it's expensive and all those sorts of things um yeah absolutely it did open up those conversations but in but then you know later on when we did go through a miscarriage those conversations it it got harder for people and those conversations definitely stopped even though we'd been quite open from the start Mm -hmm. so did you fall pregnant on your first round of IVF first round yeah weren't we were weren't we so lucky we thought to ourselves because our IVF process had been quite straightforward um there weren't too many hiccups I did get a phone call from the consultant one day when we were halfway through and she said to me, I've just noticed your BMI and you're too light. We can't continue with IVF until you put weight what? on. Yeah. And she said to me, do you have an eating disorder? And I said, oh, no. And she said, OK, put on some weight and then we can continue. But we otherwise we can't continue. 
but hang on, how far through your treatment were you? Where so we'd gone you? through all of the testing. We'd probably spent about a thousand pounds at that point. They'd known my BMI from day one and we were ready for the egg collection. And I thought to myself, I mean, firstly, if I, I if I did have an eating disorder, that's an awful way to approach it. Mm. Also, I just don't know how you can treat someone like that. And she just hung up. It was like a 30 second conversation. We can't continue. Put on some weight. See you later. Um, so what did you do? I well it's a bit of a funny story I desperately tried to put on weight I'm naturally slim and I know I'm really lucky with that you know I get a lot of comments oh you know um but so I tried to put on weight and just couldn't and ended up feeling really awful because I was just I wasn't eating the right foods and I was just taking in too many calories so in desperation I bought some diving weights (laughs) because they're tiny and they're quite heavy and I put them in my bra. I had this whole thing planned out because it was only a few kilos that they wanted me to gain. And again, just out of desperation, I thought, how am I going to gain this weight? I can't do it naturally. So I'm going to put a few sneaky weights in my bra. So I used to walk into the scans clinking. With <laughs> and what a bizarre how, situation. Isn't that like, but doesn't that just demonstrate like how this, not warps, warps isn't like is too much, but you know how it affects your mind. Oh, in yeah. that you're treated so unfairly about something you're so desperate you, you, you go in there with a, a heavy bra yeah yeah <laughs> like, and and I'd thought it through like I can't put them in my jeans because what if they ask me to get undressed for the scan so I'm gonna have to put them in my bra but I did panic like what if the metal messes with the ultrasound machines and I had this whole narrative and yet it is warped it's completely warped I can see the humor in it but it's also awful mm. yeah it's awful that they like I think the BMI thing I don't know why they still do it because it just seems like such a shit way to 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 you know such a such an unreliable way because everyone's body mass is different right it doesn't mean you're we all know that BMI is a big fat lie there was once an article in the sun about it was there Laura tell us more yeah um yeah it, I was I was on page 59 of the sun not page three no unfortunately fortunately not sure um yeah it is it's so old-fashioned and it's all based on you know white 40 year old men isn't it yeah Uh, how how we're being measured against them so did you manage to have enough weight in your bra to pass the test they didn't weigh me again that's the awful thing you're joking no I'm not joking they from that moment on saying we can't continue put on weight no one ever said anything again and I wasn't weighed and we went through IVF and got pregnant so the the stress that that caused apparently to them no absolutely mental I should have I hope the weights weren't too expensive no they a little bit but not not too bad no I've still got them. I'm keeping them as a souvenir. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. That's I so might, funny. I might need, I might go diving one day. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Mate, well, you've got the kit now. I know. No, I can't imagine anything worse. But yeah, I look like a diver. But yeah, so that was the only hiccup slightly that we had. Um, the rest of the IVF was, I guess, straightforward and we got pregnant. And in our two-week wait, we got a puppy who you can see in the background. Um our dog had died a few years earlier and it just the, the stars aligned and it, we got an opportunity to get a new dog. So, you know, we were joking, oh, we're going to have an, a new baby and a puppy and it's going to be chaos, but it's going to be absolutely lovely. 
So I was up at four o'clock in the morning, you know, that that last day of your two week wait where you can test, I was up with the dog. And so I weed in a cup, a mug that I just got out of the cupboard and actually is still in the cupboard. I forget. My husband reminds me when we get it out like a builder or a guest and he like gives me a knowing look, like, don't forget that's the cup you weed in. So I should probably throw that out. But um, <laughs> You could put I, your diving weights in there. Yeah, exactly. I might just put that's them on a shelf. Idea. Yeah, all the memories, happy memories. Um, yeah. So I weed in a cup at four o'clock in the morning and just left it on the side and went back to bed. And then at, at nine o'clock in the morning when he woke up, we tested it and I covered the covered the test with a tissue and unveiled it. So we both saw together that we were pregnant and it was it was lovely. And I cried and I said, the only time I've had a, a positive test is on a COVID strip. You know, that was the first yeah. time I've seen two lines, not on a COVID test. Um, and it was, yeah, it was lovely. And then we were pregnant and we were so grateful that that's how it happened. But there was still that tiny bit in my head that said, well, it's still not going to happen because you wanted that so badly. And unfortunately, it did sort of play into that narrative because we had a miscarriage. Do you you find that being paramedics, you've seen a lot of people go through miscarriage? Yes, a lot. Something that that, um, you were probably more aware of it than any normal person. I guess, yeah, I guess we have a fairly realistic view, if not a warped view of other people's lives. And we do see the trauma that other people go through. And it does make us feel so lucky that we do have our health and we've got a beautiful house and we've got each other. It, it does make you feel grateful for what you have. And I have seen a lot of miscarriage. So I thought I was fairly well informed, but we had a missed miscarriage. And that's not something you know, that's something that you go to your scan and you find out about. So that isn't something that you would see, that people wouldn't call an ambulance for that. So that isn't something that I was aware of. So that came as a surprise. You didn't have any bleeding or cramping or anything like that. You you were thinking, okay, we're good, we're good. We're getting closer to that scan. I was pregnant. And I mean, six weeks to the day of the IVF, I started to feel sick. All day, every day, I felt horrific. And I knew that was coming. My sister had had two pregnancies and she felt sick all the way through. Um, and and then people would say to me, oh, it's it's great. It's a really good sign of your pregnancy hormones. You feel so sick. And I tried to feel grateful, although I felt awful. I tried to appreciate that I was having these symptoms because I was growing a baby. And I remember having a conversation with my husband on the way to the clinic. And he said, how do you feel? And I, I remember saying, if I didn't feel so sick, I'd be a bit more worried, but I feel so pregnant. And because of the IVF, I was a bit bloated and I had a little bump, which was ridiculous because it was so early on, but I felt pregnant and I walked into that scan pretty confident mm. that we had a baby growing. And then you, you know, yourselves within seconds, there's no heartbeat. And then that's when every, everything just crumbles away. Everything stops. And in that moment, the reality hits that we're not going to have a baby. We're not going to take Did it. For you, Nikki, did it, because certainly from my experience, it's like you say in that moment, the reality hit. But for me, I think the reality kept hitting with it, like weeks, days afterwards, weeks afterwards, because you spent your whole, your whole time thinking baby's going to be due then. And and I remember my baby was supposed to be due around Christmas. And I remember being really excited because it meant that I didn't have to make any political decisions about where we spent Christmas. I was just like that. Everyone can just work around me this year. And I remember a couple of weeks down the line 
thinking about those plans and then suddenly realizing that I had to think about Christmas again. And it was like the, the most bizarre trigger because it came, it brought things all back again about what I'd lost and, and back to the day and back to the moment and stuff. And it, it was, it's like this experience that keeps on taking from you. It doesn't, it's not just that moment when you realize that you're not going to be a parent like you thought you were going to be, but it's that those moments afterwards that you are take your robbed of something else. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even a year later in the, the modern world of social media and algorithms, yeah. you know, every time I go on Instagram, because in those early days, I'd got a little bit excited and I'd, I'd research the pram that we might have and what, what outfit would I take them home in, all those sorts of things. I let myself have a little bit of hope. And because of the wonderful internet, all of my algorithms are now set to look at this new pram we've just launched and and here's some parenting tips. So yeah, there is, we're surrounded by constant, constant triggers that you just can't avoid. Yeah, you can't, you can't avoid them. And then, you know, along those lines of triggers, then, then you've got the, um, the friends, presumably you've got some friends or family members that are along the same lines. You said your sister had two pregnancies and you know all that stuff with your friends and colleagues and stuff having babies and so how have you managed those triggers or haven't you I don't think I have <laughs> I think so as part of so I've been so lucky working for the NHS that actually I took a long period of time off sick um, and also working for the ambulance service we have the most wonderful uh, consultant psychotherapist who helps us deal with trauma that we might see and I spoke to her and I think she, well, yeah, she's been amazing. She has helped me deal with and process everything that we've been through. And I think that's the that is genuinely the only way I've got through it with her help and support, and of course a few family and friends. But without that, yeah, I think I'd still struggle even more. So, the warriorship. We wanted to come and tell you a little bit about it, didn't we, Bex? And in case you're already going, why we don't want to know about a fucking ship? The Warriorship is our online membership for warriors in this community. It's packed full of stuff. So we just want to tell you about some of the stuff. All of the content from all of the courses that we ever run is in the Warriorship. So there's loads to get your teeth into. And we are also developing modules for what happens after. But not only that, we've also got a ton of educational workshops running once a month. In the coming months, we have got body positivity workshop, gratitude workshop, and loads, loads, loads more. And on top of that, we also have a resident mental health specialist. And on top of that, if if that wasn't enough, there's 13 events every month. And there's stuff popping up all the time as well that other people are organising that you can be a part of. So it really is thriving. And all you have to do is head to the link in our bio or visit our website and you can be a part of this too. We'd love to see you there. How was the aftermath of um, that scan? What? How were things between the two of you and what, what option did you choose for the management? So we... We, I think we went into professional mode. We were quite stoic. You know, we stood up and I got dressed and we said, thank you very much. And we walked out. Um, and because it was a private clinic, we had to phone the NHS early pregnancy unit. So we got in the car and I got on the phone and we were on hold for a little while. And I think at that moment, about 20 minutes later, that's when I just broke down sobbing with the reality of what happened. Um, so we went to the early pregnancy unit the next day. And they were wonderful. They were so kind. And they, we were just sort of swept up with their knowledge and their kindness. 
and they talked us through all the options but we were still again very stoic and I felt bad for them as professionals having to deal with us and we'd say you know oh, they keep giving us the sad eyes and we we had to get put in the sad room to have the news delivered to us I think we weren't viewing it through the eyes of two parents that had lost their baby we were trying to be trying to be really brave about it um and we chose to have the the medical management which thankfully worked I know it can be problematic but for us it worked but what that meant is we had to go back a week later for another repeat scan and then a few days later to have the medication and all the time I felt pregnant I felt sick all day every day and I just used to cry each night being like it's not fair that I'm feeling this unwell and it's not for a purpose I'm not growing a baby anymore I think those were some dark times yeah that's not fair at all no it's really not fair I'm pleased that the 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 medical management worked well for you we hear such horror stories um and so yeah it's it's reassuring to to hear it runs smoothly so to speak um well how were how was your husband how what sort of did you have any difficult conversations we did we had a lot we had so many difficult conversations and I think again that's the one thing about the sort of relationship that we've had we've had a lot of challenges you know we we have a stepson we have we've dealt with a lot during our relationship and I think with our profession we're very good at communicating so we never had any trouble discussing our feelings but I think he very much was looking after me and everyone would ask him how I was and I worried about that that's not fair he was going through his own trauma but I was the focus and I didn't I I don't like any attention anyway but I really wanted to make sure that he was okay but no no one else really addressed that which no, I tricky isn't it bonkers yeah it's, it's, it's and when you did you experience like difficult feelings of resentment for you know the fact that your husband had a child already did you find that more difficult after your loss I think yeah I think sometimes I struggled and maybe that is an element we didn't talk about so much because I I felt guilty for having those thoughts but there were days when I thought you know you've got your baby you've you've had a baby and although I yeah I'd, I'd really struggled to have that conversation with him because that's not fair but I, I guess I did experience some loneliness in the sense that I felt I was losing a baby and my only chance to have a baby. But he had he had his child, who I have a wonderful relationship with. But yeah, there was definitely that slight mismatch, although that probably is the one conversation we haven't truly had because that's not fair on him. And he would never, ne- you know, never feel that way. He, he went through it with me exactly the same way. We both lost a baby together. Yeah. But yeah, it's a slight mismatch there, I guess. Was it something that you've spoken to your stepson about? Well, that was an interesting journey. We decided to talk to him about IVF because, you know, he's old enough. We wanted we wanted to have a household where we talk about problems and we just sort them out. We don't hide things. And with the Sharps boxes and the injections, we knew he's an intuitive kid. We knew that he'd pick up on something. So we decided to talk to him about it. And it ended up being a bit of a, you know, a sex education talk, which actually we found really valuable. And I think he appreciated. I think it's good to have those conversations. Um, Mm. He was really excited. And the prospect, although we were realistic, the prospect of having a brother or sister, he was really excited about that. Um, 
but unfortunately we are, we have him 50% of the time but that means 50% of the time he's not with us and he did spend some time with his mum and then sadly come back to us saying I, I I don't want you to do this I don't I don't want a brother or a sister and saying it sort of spiraled into him saying to me I don't want you to be a mum I don't want to be part of your family a lot of things that were probably just an 11 year old's thought process of processing this news but then there were a lot of words that also weren't his own and he had been slightly influenced um mm-hmm. so unfortunately and I'm sure many blended families understand understand the challenges of having a stepchild but the, he did carry on with the narrative of don't do this I don't want you to be a mum so we actually we didn't tell him when we got pregnant and then we didn't tell him about the miscarriage because we thought why should we tell him about something that he's lost that he wasn't aware that he had in the first place or that he actually didn't want in the first place so we didn't we didn't continue to tell him about that which again that was hard because going through the miscarriage he still kept saying I don't want you to be a mum don't do this and I'm thinking in my head well it's not going to happen now anyway so that must have been really really challenging yeah yeah it was yeah that was very hard that was an element I guess just an additional element a really awful time that you just don't need but I guess it's just part of our story is it something Mm. that he has stopped talking about now yeah he didn't talk about it he didn't talk about it any longer I think if I guess he thought if he didn't speak about it then we wouldn't have a baby and maybe we should have continued to talk about it and tell him what had happened because maybe there's a part of him that doesn't that wonders well why didn't they have a baby but I think from our own self-protection we stopped that conversation because it's just not something we could continue we had to protect ourselves yeah. we didn't carry on talking about oh, it because yeah 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 I think if that's I think the difficulty is is with blended families is that you can't <clears throat> you have a limited influence over the child but you have no influence over the other parent that they're spending time with mm-hmm. and to have that if you had that conversation with your stepson and then he went back to you know the the people that he spends the other half of his time with and had different conversations you have no control over what is said or done and then whatever filters back through that kind of lens back to you may just hurt you more and i per- personally having lived um in a blended family for a number of years um i understand your challenges and i understand that that toxicity of um of when you don't have control over over everything that is fed and the um the damage that that can occur through that third party and i really feel for you there i think it's it must whether you know whether it's conscious or not it must there must be some resentment there in in the mix of of all those really really challenging relationships i'm so sorry that that's something that you've had to deal with on top of the grief that is the loss itself it's just as you say it's just this whole situation is so unfair yeah yeah absolutely um you feel like you're constantly sort of firefighting lots of different scenarios and when you're really vulnerable it's hard it's hard mm. to keep that, that mm. hard to keep that going but um but yeah we got well, I guess we got through it because I, I don't know what the alternative was um yeah yeah well, and I was it. lucky like I said I was lucky to have some time off work I couldn't I just couldn't imagine dealing with other people's trauma 
when I couldn't I couldn't stop crying myself so you can't have a paramedic turn up to you and you know they just they just start crying in front of you that was my biggest fear um but as part of that I needed to get signed off by my doctor um and work again working in healthcare I know that people phone up their doctor and chat for 10 minutes and at the end of that consultation they'll say oh but I just need to sign be signed off sick so I was quite direct with my doctor in saying you know hello doctor good morning how are you I've been through this IVF miscarriage I, I need a sickness certificate if that's okay and he turned around and said to me um well, I, I don't have any evidence of that um I'm going to need proof if that's okay because I can't I can't take your word for it um, so bring me some proof and I'll sign you off sick. He said, I'll phone you back in three days. And what that, sort of proof was he wanting? Well, exactly. What what I think he was saying was, um, I'm really sorry to hear that. I hope you're okay. Um, I haven't received any discharge papers from the early pregnancy unit. I wonder if you can, I don't know, chase that up for me. I don't know. I'm sort of, I'm trying to reason with it in my head. Um, but I don't, yeah. He asked for proof of my loss, which I found devastating. <clears throat> and I thought to myself, well, what if what if I had miscarried at home and dealt with it myself? What proof do you want? What if I didn't have discharge letters from the hospital? I don't know how I was meant to prove it. You'd think as well, like as a paramedic, you'd all be on the same side. I yeah. don't know if that's, you know, I understand that there are rules and regulations and stuff, but I, I also think that that's not a very human way to deal to, to talk to another person and you think in the medical profession he'd understand that you've seen lots and lots of horrid things and you would why would you lie about that it's I don't know I think that's really awful horrendous and as you it? say what if you can't the last thing you want to do when you've been through such trauma and such dev devastating heartbreak is have to think about how you can prove that you've been through that like mm -hmm. that's mad yeah and that shame that I felt, and I felt so belittled. And I can't imagine any other time you'd phone your GP and they'd ask you to prove it. Um, and if I was lying yeah. about having a miscarriage, that's a whole separate issue. That needs to be unpicked. And that, you know, you need to be kind and support to that person for whatever reason. Um, but I hadn't made it up. I had had a miscarriage. And um, yeah. I delivered the proof. Yeah. Well, normally you would... The hospital would send their discharge letter to the GP, right? Or you would be um, under the care of the midwife, and and they would they'd know that way. I guess it's just um, uh, I don't know a, a, a miscommunication. They've not that I can see what they're asking for, but they've not gone about asking it the right way, have they? Yeah. Do they know that you're a paramedic because I know that personally. Sometimes I would pull out the I'm a nurse card and other times I would think, well, why should I have to? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they knew. I do, you know, you, you go to your GP surgery and you just see whoever's available. Um, so I don't know if, if he knew. Um, but yeah, like, you know, it was just a complete lack of, of human empathy and kindness. Um, and that certainly didn't help my recovery process. And, and that's the point, isn't it? The point isn't, as Laura says, the point isn't that you have to work out your I'm you know, I work in the in the medical profession. The point is that you you it, it shouldn't it should be completely irrelevant where you work and who you are and what your age is and 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 all, all of that stuff and just actually how much does it take to even if that's the question that you have to ask by your professional standards, 
how difficult is it to say I'm so sorry to hear that I, I really hope that you're okay is there anything else is there anyone I can refer you to is there any information you need you know this is the stuff that needs to be being taught it's, it's almost like bedside manner stuff it's not mm. difficult we can all learn whether we've been through this experience or not we can all learn how to treat people with kindness and respect and you know integrity during this absolutely horrendous time and why aren't we doing that why is that not coming naturally to people in the medical profession that presumably join the medical profession because they want to fucking help people like <laughs> what? Oh. yeah you're, you're yeah. absolutely right absolutely right and that, I guess that played into my not wanting to go back to work is I was terrified as a clinician I thought back all of those conversations gosh I hope I have never made anyone feel that way because mm. it's so easy to go to six or seven patients each day and it's not it's part of your working day it's not it's not a big deal to you but to that person it's this one event in their life most of the time um, and it's huge to them and now I know you remember every single word that said to you and every single thing that happens and I was mm. I was terrified of of, have, of saying something wrong to a patient and I really hope I haven't in the past I don't I don't think I would have ever been that unkind to someone mm. I think it's um I think it's it's more than what you say I think it's more than what you say and do I think it's the way that you make people feel like people yes. don't necessarily remember the word the, the exact wording or what they heard or anything like that but but we all remember how we felt and we've spoken to so many people now on the podcast and in our membership who have have had their their recovery has either gone in a sort of positive way or in a really negative way. And so much of it is because of how they were treated at that point, at that sort of falling off point is how they were treated. Mm-hmm. And it just I don't I think more awareness needs to be spread for how essential this frontline support is. This these sonographers these GPs all these people standing at the front giving that bad news or being the first person to speak to that uh, woman or couple after they've experienced a miscarriage at home or whatever these people need to be trained they need to be better equipped to deal with the the emotional mental side of things because that is the shit that comes back to haunt you when it's two o'clock in the morning and it's six months down the line and you don't know why this has happened to you that's the stuff that comes back all those many things that don't seem like much that may not seem like anything as you say in a, in a in a doctor's day because they've had however many patients since however however early they started working but my gosh for someone that's their everything that's that's their life that's just crumbled yeah it's, it's not treated seriously enough and then how are we in 2023 and and, and it's not you know we, we are saying that people with miscarriage who have experienced pregnancy loss and miscarriage they're not treated with compassion how is that a thing you know it's dreadful yeah it's really it's really dreadful it's really dreadful and it's very much a part of what we're what we're planning on in the future isn't it laura hi it is captain mm. yeah um, well so so how, how what's been going on for you since nikki so that was when that was last october a so, year yeah. ago so last so june was the miscarriage i returned to work in october um right i've still been speaking to our trust psychotherapist a year later and she's played a wonderful part in my recovery and I've gone back to work saying, you know, people said, oh, I haven't seen you for a while. And I said, well, I was off. You know, I had a miscarriage. I lost a baby. And I've gone back to work talking about my experience and just trying to reflect what you guys are doing, because you've very much been with me since the start of my journey on dog walks and trips to and from work, listening to the podcast. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm trying to carry that on and, and in the ambulance service, talk about miscarriage and raise awareness of baby loss and do what I can to, to make sure that my colleagues treat patients the right way. But also, probably most of my colleagues have experience of pregnancy loss and miscarriage and to allow them to, to talk about it and see what I could do. It's very much a work in progress. Mm. Open up conversations more conversations happen don't they yeah the amount of people at work that I've told about you know I've said what's happened and they said oh yeah I've been through that Mm. which I I didn't know that before um it's crazy and what does the future look like for you I don't know I don't really know if I'm at the start of my journey or at the end um Mm. I think I think we'll give IVF another go I'd really like to um I don't, I don't want to, in 10 years' time, I don't want to have any regrets. So I don't want to be without a child in 10 years' time, but, you know, broke. I've got a strained relationship um, and our, our whole life has been dedicated to this. Um, yeah. So I want to make sure that we live our lives and we are so grateful for what we have. But then at the same time, again, in 10 years' time, I don't want to think, oh, I just wish I'd tried one more time. Or maybe if I'd have done this, it would have worked. Um yeah. So I don't know where we're at. I know that we will we'll give it another go and see what happens. And we have still got that hope every month, maybe. Maybe it'll happen naturally, but I guess we've just got to see um, and enjoy life for what it is for the moment. Oh, I love mm. that. Yeah. And is your your husband, is he on the same page in terms of all that? Ab- yeah, absolutely. That's good. Definitely. And since, you know, since our miscarriage, we got engaged and then we got married, which was lovely. And I I try to think that although we've been through something awful, and I don't think that happened for a reason, I think it's just something awful. Um, but as of a consequence of us not having a baby, we got engaged and we got married. So I've, I try to think of the, the positive that has come out of that awful situation, although mm. I don't think it happened for a reason. Um, so, yeah, he's on board. We talk about it often and we're quite open just seeing what happens and see how it goes keep our fingers crossed I guess brilliant well we will keep our fingers crossed for you and thank you all the best thank you yeah do keep in touch let us know how things are going won't you and you know we're here for you so keep listening to the pod oh gosh I will and thank you so much for you guys for everything that you do because it, it genuinely helped me through my journey and I'm sure so many other people would say that too so you're doing an amazing job Oh well it's a privilege to be able to be here yes. in your ear hole. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well we will All right, be Nikki. Talking to you on your next dog walk, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks Wonderful. So All right. Well take care and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. 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 Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.